With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. This is a podcast about Scottish football, but since there's actually no football to talk about, we're going to be looking back at some of the things we've enjoyed over the past 11 weeks, some of the things that really effed us off, and we're going to review a beloved movie from our childhood and ask ourselves, does it get the credit that it deserves, or is it the most disappointing sequel of all time? My name is Craig Telfer, and today I am joined by three strong men who make the Avengers look like Earth's biggest duds. The first is the man with the most distinctive voice in football broadcasting, it's Tony Anderson. Hello, Craig. Next is the man with the most distinctive thumbs in football broadcasting, it's Sean McGuigan. Hello. And last of all is Gary Cocker. I was worrying, but that's fine. Hiya. Well, that's uh, Gary, I was, you know the, the rule of threes, um, so I couldn't, uh, I couldn't really think of one of your... Uh, most distinctive features, but don't 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 take that as a slight. Don't take that. As a Sorry, slight. I'm happy being out round six out of ten every Saturday. Totally fine by me. Excellent. We can see you're putting your microphone to good use there as well. With that quality audio we're getting from you there. <laughs> anyway, if you've done these, if you've listened to these shows before, this is the fifth uh, culture podcast we've done. You know how it works. We talk about something we've liked, something we haven't liked, a movie, and then something to look forward to in the coming weeks. We will start with something good. Sean McGuigan, talk to me. What have you been enjoying over the last couple of weeks? Uh, I thought, well, I think it was last week you said that you had been listening to fewer podcasts because you normally listen to podcasts when you commute. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've kind of got rules about this as well. So I, when I'm commuting, I generally read. But if I'm walking anywhere, I normally listen to a podcast. So I've been listening to more podcasts. So one that I'd, I think everybody is aware of it, but I'd never ever listened to it before and I kind of wished I had, is Desert Island Discs. Yep. So, I mean, obviously, it's been, 
75 years or something it's been going now. So I've only listened, been listening the last couple of weeks. I've, I've kind of went through about half a dozen. And obviously the, the, the kind of level of guests that they get on is always excellent. And I, I, I think reading about Desert Island this, I think it's evolved over the years. So I think to start with, the, the, the probably put more emphasis on the the tracks or the songs that they would take if they were stranded on a desert island uh, mm. and they only had eight songs to listen to. Yeah. Whereas now I think it's probably the interview that has the the most amount of kind of emphasis put on it. And uh, bear in mind, if you're used to an interview on, like a celebrity interview on the one show, where they'll just talk about what film they're in for two minutes yeah. and then they're asked a question about whatever really dull uh kind of snippet they're about to show so like, I don't know Idris Elba asked about diluting juice and then they'll have a feature on diluting juice and it's just rubbish but the the, the interviews that they have on Desert Island this it's always uh, they can be quite emotional so they'll be talking about uh, moments in their life that I suppose have sculpted them either uh, kind of uh, good or bad but if it's been tough moments it's in their life they always talk about how they've kind of came out the other side so whether it was there's a good one made with Brian Cox, the, the actor, not the, the keyboard-playing space obsessive. So he was talking about his upbringing. It was uh, the, the kind of poverty he went through. Uh, the one with Ian Wright was, was excellent. He was talking mm. about the, 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 the kind of things that he's went through, the, the kind of tough upbringing he had. There was a really good one I listened to a, a couple of weeks ago. It was, uh, I forget her surname, it was, her name was Sinead. She has a, a disabled rights campaigner in Ireland. And she, I, I think she's three feet ten uh, inches tall. And she was, she, she kind of spoke about her, her childhood, things that happened that obviously people like having a laugh, but that demeaned her. But she yeah. spoke about how she used those experiences to, 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 to help her campaign. And they kind of talked about all the stuff that she does now. Uh, but no, no, it's excellent. A kind of uh, quite an emotional uh, podcast, I suppose, but an uplifting one as well. Uh, everyone has told me I've never had the chance to well, say I've never had the chance to listen to it. I have never been I've never been minded to listen to it, but I've heard that, that it's one of those things where anyone who who has listened to it says it's incredible. I think it was the Ian Wright one in particular from it must have been a couple of months ago. That was very well praised. And it's a story about a, a teacher. I'm sure that's a story Ian Wright shared in the past. It's yeah. a, a, about a teacher who really inspired him in his life and sort of became like a father figure to him. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Okay, thank you for elaborating more. On that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the aye, so the, the the teacher that he had, he because uh, he'd spoken about this on the, the, the television as well. Ian Wright was doing a show, and he was I can't remember what football ground he was at, but for years he'd been under the impression that the the teacher had died yeah. uh, for a, about fifteen years previously, and uh, actually that that hadn't been the case. So kind of out of the blue, he was he was reunited with that teacher, uh, and he, he, like he just burst into tears. Uh, and like even even telling that story again, he, he kind of burst into tears telling it on the, the podcast. Excellent. No, de- definitely worth listening. I know Bruce Springsteen's done it, so Bruce Springsteen is a, a hero of mine. So I'm, I'm waiting for Ali McCoy's to do one. Uh, then I'll, I'll, I'll definitely give a listen. Gary, I can see you've uh, whipped out your microphone, so thank you for the courtesy. <coughs> uh, what have you been enjoying over the past few weeks? This is, of course, this is your first culture podcast, so a good chance to uh, let us out a window into your life. It's actually uh, my second. I did one with you a few weeks ago, but that's all right, Greg. It's, it's <laughs> good to see that it made such an impact on you and that my recommendation well, yeah, you changed your life. You don't have a distinctive voice, you don't have a distinctive look, you don't have distinctive thumbs, so you just can't remember you. I'm just an amoeba, a podcasting oh, yeah, amoeba. Yeah, I'm sure you were talking about like, cookery or some shit. And I was Andy Harrow, so you're now just aiming pot shots at other people. But what I will come on to <laughs> is another podcast. 
Um, so Sean's already recommended the podcast, um, but I am going to recommend one called Winds of Change. So Winds of Change is a podcast about the Scorpion song Wind of Change. I don't know if any of you remember that song. I do. We know the band. Yep, so uh, the Scorpions were a West German rock band and when the Cold War came to an end and the Berlin Wall fell, this was a major song in mainland Europe. It wasn't really that big, I think, in the UK or in the States. It was a big song. And basically this podcast is about um, a claim that a journalist heard that the song was actually written by the CIA (laughs) as some sort of statecraft. And it, it sounds ridiculous. And the Scorpions are like a... I don't know what you call them, like a, a budget ACDC or something like that. They, metal, they sung, isn't it? Hear metal. Yeah, they sung, uh, they sung the song, um, you know, Here I Am, Rock Me Like a Hurricane. Mm-hmm. That was one of theirs. Winds of Change? Was it the CIA? Was it them? Who knows? Um, but basically, it's an eight-part series, so it's all out on Spotify, but it's coming out weekly on, you know, Apple Podcasts, whatever. Um, and it's basically the journalists going and speaking to people who used to be in the CIA, people who uh, are massive fans of the band in Eastern Europe. So it's a little bit of a mix of things. It's part mystery so did they actually write the song and it's also partly about um the different methods of statecraft that the likes of the cia would use in different ways that they would try to you know sort of win culture wars uh elsewhere so it's a really really interesting podcast uh, and i would thoroughly pardon how many episodes does it go across eight eight that sounds amazing that sounds that sounds really interesting yeah because they must have they must have some sort of theory then if it's going to drag out for eight episodes then they must have some sort of solid grounding at least so it it all originates and this is in the first episode so i'm not giving any spoilers out but the first episode is basically um this journalist one of their friends is mates with somebody who's in the cia but doesn't have the i forget what they call it but there's a certain clearance that you can have to speak about certain things that you did when you were in the cia and this person was adamant no no the CIA wrote the rock song Winds of Change in order to you know, try and advance um, the fall of communism across Eastern Europe. Um, and then the rest of it is this guy just going, this just sounds ridiculous. Um, then there's various, like he puts a freedom of information request. It doesn't sound that exciting, but it's genuinely very, very interesting to see how the intelligence community works and just to you know, go over that time again. Because I think it's a period of time that, especially now with everything going on, People are quite interested because at that point, people thought this is the end of history. This is, you know, capitalism is one end of story. We can all go home now. Um, so it's quite interesting to look back at it with that lens. Does it touch on the fact that David Hasselhoff claimed that he helped to uh, bring down the Berlin Wall? I've not heard that bit yet, but who knows? Uh, I'm... Well, there's eight episodes, so surely there's a big crescendo of time to It does take so many weird twists and turns um, throughout it, so I'm sure that'll come up. I'm just trying to do it week by week because... Um, as Sean said, I mean, I usually listen to podcasts when I commute mm. or when I'm you know, making my tea at the end of the day. So there's now, I don't have my commute to work and back. So I've got such a big backlog of podcasts, but this is one that I'm trying to keep up with. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm the same. It's, I keep getting messages on my phone uh, for all the podcasts I subscribe to. And it's like, I think it's a bit overwhelming, the, the, the number of things just to try and get to, particularly when your whole routine's change, where you would, as we've said, where you would listen to these podcasts, that's... That's no longer there. Um, I'll get the, I've, I've been doing this now. This is five weeks, so it's getting a bit more and more difficult. I'm a fairly uninteresting person, so it's getting more and more difficult to talk about interesting things. So I'm doing a bit of a grab bag at the moment. There's three things that I'm going to say I've, I've really enjoyed. Uh, the first is a collaboration between Palace Skateboards Adidas and the French skateboarder Lucas Puig. They designed uh, a pair of trainers. Of course. 
Um, so I'm showing you that you can't see them in the podcast, but I've got That's the good audio. <laughs> <laughs> that is set piece good, about trainers. That is good, pod, good podcast there. Uh, but the trainers are absolutely fantastic. So credit to Palace once again. How they keep pulling it out of the bag, I do not know. The second uh, thumbs up is to a Twitter account called Old Rovers Picks, and this Twitter account is effectively pictures of Albion Rovers players from the last thirty years. And niche. <laughs> you know some, it is niche. It is so niche. I think that, that Rovers are, I, I don't know what you guys think. I think when I think of the most unfashionable club out of 42, it's Albion Rovers. You know, don't even have a proper name. We play in an absolute, like, horrible, like, war torn, like, Eastern German. Like, that, you talk about the fall of the Berlin Wall, it looks like Clifton Hill's collateral damage. But <laughs> But, but looking back at the, the players, it's just a brilliant account in seeing all the guys. You get a wee biography as to where, where they came from, where they ended up going. And it's just something I've just, just really enjoyed. It's a, it's a good wee follow on Twitter. It's only got a few hundred followers, as you say, Tony. It's is, it is very niche, but I, I really enjoy seeing it. And last of all, and, and probably this is actually, I could have led with this, but it's um, Stonewaller magazine, um, which I, I don't know if you guys have heard about. It's a a new magazine that focuses on Scottish football, fashion, music, and culture. And um, last year, I met with Scott Kelly, the, the editor, to, to, to talk about the project. And I'll be honest, I was a bit sceptical as to whether or not it would work. I thought that Nutmeg magazine, sort of that, that curated the best of Scottish football writing. And in terms of like football, fashion, and culture, there, there was stuff like, um, like Mundial, Copa, like these sort of like uh, online accounts, online magazines, and sort of arbiters of that. But having had a look through um, the Stonewall, it looks amazing. I'll say that you just pick it up and just just flick through it. It looks absolutely incredible, very very eye catching. Uh, and I've read a couple of the articles and some of the Q and A's are quite good as well. There's one uh, with Callum Tapping, for instance, who uh, played for Tottenham Hotspur, went to Hearts, and then went to Brecon City, and it's talking about his time uh, playing in the worst breaking side of all time that picked up four points for the season. So it's, it's good so far. A, a bit with Danny Denham talking about uh, veganism. So very interesting. They've launched a Kickstarter page to, um, to, to kick it forward, as it were, and, and get the funding so they can, uh, can sustain over another issue. So I wish it well, and it's certainly money I'll be uh, putting forward towards it. And uh, I think it will add something to the new Scottish landscape. One slight criticism, though, is uh, Mundial, uh, their tagline is reminding you why you love football. Stonewallers is reminding you why you love Scottish football. So uh, maybe a bit of work there needed with uh, with that. But uh, nonetheless, I would, would highly recommend getting your hands on a copy. I like the fact that you said at the start of that that you are struggling to, to come up with, with topics for this because you've been doing it for five weeks and then you listed three. Yeah, I know. <laughs> as, soon as, uh, as soon as I got onto the Stonewaller, I thought, Craig, you've been talking here for ages. Just <laughs> shut the fuck up because nobody cares. Uh, but I, <laughs> but the law bend the fact that you got nice new trainers. That was all it was. <laughs> oh, but the, tra- the trainers are nice. The, tra- the trainers are really, really nice. They are nice, of course. Yeah, yeah they, yeah, are. they are nice. Aye, so, you know, lay off, please. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tony, uh, it's always good, to, always good to have you back on board. What have you been enjoying over the last few while? Um, over the last few weeks, I gave uh, The Righteous Gemstones a shot on Now TV, uh, which is uh, another Danny McBride creation. Uh, I got, well, since I bought my PlayStation, I got a two-month free pass um, for Now TV, so I put that on. 
and I've started rewatching The Sopranos, but I thought I don't think anyone needs another sort of discussion about The Sopranos. Yeah, have one if you like, want. More than happy to have a discussion. <laughs> but, yeah, we could do. We'll do that in the future. But exactly when I run out of other things to talk about, but <laughs> I gave the righteous gemstones a chance. It's uh, as I say, Danny McBride. Uh, he's done. It's sort of similar to sort of other TV shows that he's done, uh, where it's sort of like a a look at sort of like an idiot in a sort of position of power. Um, obviously, I think people might have uh, know of Eastbound and Down yeah. and Vice Principals. I would say that this one's a bit more ambitious uh, than those. It's a TV show about um, sort of tele-evangelists, Christians in America, uh, and how they make their money and how they go about it. And as you can imagine with Danny McBride, if anyone knows him, he plays quite an obnoxious character. And what may be a problem for other people is that pretty much all of the characters in the show are pretty obnoxious. It's a really good cast. Uh, it's got uh, John Goodman, is sort of the head of the family, uh, Eli. And I mean, John Goodman, even when you watch things that are rubbish, when John Goodman's in it, he always sort of holds your attention. Uh, Adam Devine, who is sort of, I, I don't know a lot of his work. He was in Community and Workaholics, but he's certainly a face that uh, I imagine that once you saw it, anyone would see. And Eddie Patterson plays, uh, and she was in Knives Out, and um, and this this year, so she sort of had like a pretty big year, a breakout year, if you like. Uh, but the sort of main, um, I would say the best sort of performance who steals it is an actor called Walter Goggins, who I'm not sure if anyone would be aware of. He was in, I've heard of him. Yeah, he's really interesting. I, I don't know him for lots of things. I mean, I looked at his film, filmography, he had a huge amount of sort of different types of roles, but I knew him from as the sheriff in Hateful Eight. And he done the role in, um, in in this as well, and he was also in Vice Principal. So Danny McBride has a few sort of uh, returning cast members, and uh, he really steals the show. He plays the sort of brother who he sort of started it with the sister, and they sort of made all the money. Then John Goodman came around and wooed the sister, and they made sort of like a lot more money, and he was sort of put out to pastures and forgot about, and he wants to get his piece of the pie. Uh, this year, I think it, it's not as funny as maybe previous Danny McBride um, sort of work, but uh, as I said, the storyline is actually really quite good, which I thought was quite unusual. I think he goes like quite on a, it's a really big story. There's a lot of moving parts in it and he tries to bring it together and the story sort of loses its way a few times. But as I said, I think we're watching the show while I didn't absolutely adore it. Uh, like you would find with most comedy shows, you think that, that it's gotten more to come. I find the comedies are quite regular at the second and the third season as you get to know the characters more and the writers sort of get to know them more. It sort of grows with that and they sort of get the jokes more on point when they move with it. Uh, so I would definitely recommend giving it a watch. The set design is absolutely brilliant and how it works. I mean, everyone will have seen on Twitter and on other social media, these sort of evangelists sort of talking about getting rid of the COVID and all that. So these set pieces are pretty well known and they're quite funny. Uh, and he links in, again, he, it's his creation, but he's linked in with David Gordon Green and Jody Hill, again, as the directors who, in recent times, he done the sort of Halloween reboots that he's done with. And uh, I think Danny McBride's quite an interesting guy because you wouldn't think, with watching his sort of early stuff, you would think he would always just be a bit of a side character. He does do quite a lot of repetitive roles, if you like, with those obnoxious sort of ideas. But it's quite interesting that he's now became sort of like a director, a producer who's branched into, as I say, things like horror. He's created three of his own TV shows that have all had sort of quite high critical acclaim. Uh, so I find Danny McBride quite a, a contradictory character and uh, quite interesting to watch how his career develops over time. He's also in those betting adverts. 
Yes, unfortunately, he is. Uh, we can't we can't get it all right, Craig. Hey, listen, Danny McBride needs to pay the bills as well. You know, uh, get <laughs> off the guy's case. Be for a second. No, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting you say that, Tony, about sitcoms. Uh, sometimes taking a bit of time to to, to find the characters. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I don't watch a lot of sitcoms, but I think certainly what you've said there really applies. That it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Absolutely, I'm yeah. A fan of that, and I thought the first series is actually very funny. Um, but with the second series, and I don't know if that is because of the introduction of Danny DeVito as Frank Reynolds coming into it, but that really, when it hits the second series, that really found its mojo and, mm-hmm. and kicked off from, from there. It's as you get to know the characters, you sort of know, understand how they're going to react at different times, which adds its own humour. And as I know, the tone of the jokes gets better as the directors and the writers know it. And I'm, I agree with you, I absolutely love it. It's always funny in Philadelphia. Uh, and again, but this isn't. This is relatively similar, as I said. But every character is a bit odious, yeah. Uh, and they're all greedy, and they're all out for themselves. But if you're into that type of thing and you can find the humour in it, then give it a bash. Or if you're like Craig Fowler, who says he always has to have someone to root for, then don't. Which I've always found quite a strange sort of saddle, sad perspective. You know and that's why I. That's why I struggled a wee bit with. Uh, Breaking Bad so I, I enjoyed Breaking Bad but I didn't love it and I think that's one of the reasons why I wasn't overly keen on it and that every single or pretty much every character in it is a baddie in some shape we are form and I, I didn't really have anybody to root for even he's disabled I child one of the reasons I wasn't keen. <laughs> you get that in succession <laughs> as well I was thinking that I'm glad that I'm glad you said it but that's that. That's uh, just going back to what you said there Tony that's, that's Craig Fowler for you a uh, uh, same <laughs> contrary Difficult man. <laughs> I don't think that's what I was implying, but okay, I'll run with it. Your point overall, yeah, generally, your, your point overall. Yeah. Uh, now, that's, uh, that's some of the things that we've liked, so let's maybe take a look at some of the things we've disliked. Gary, since this is your first time on the show, why don't you kick it off? What have you disliked uh, over the last few weeks? Like the Duncan thing, I like it. I disliked... Yet again, I'm using a prop, which is useless for the readers, but uh, listeners, but you can tell it's books that said readers. It's James Acaster's book, Perfect Sound Whatever. Now, this is a book that Duncan Mackay gave five stars on Goodreads. So initially I thought, well, this must be good. And James Acaster... Fucking five stars to Baby's Adventures in Alphabet Land. The guy's just a five-star machine. (laughs) Plus, he just reads so much that he probably got confused about what he was reviewing. So he just... just, I think this is probably more of a not-for-me Clive type thing rather than this is just junk, but I'm going to make the case for it being junk anyway. Um, so the book is basically James A. Caster's a comedian who in 2017, the start of 2017, uh, his relationship broke down and then he had a breakdown and he used that year to listen to 366 albums that were released in 2016. Sorry to stop you there, Gary. Is that the guy who was on Talk Sport with Alan Brazil and Dean Saunders? And he was talking about yes, his, um, yeah. like the comedians and uh, Dean Saunders, like tears of a clown. That, that is a saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that is a saying. <laughs> the worst. I did not know that. To ever go That's great. It's absolutely great. Talk about like difficulties of mental health. Alan Brazil sports breakfast. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> probably, you're probably going to get the least understanding audience. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe the audience that needs to hear about it the most. Um, but yeah. no, this. So this book. Um, the reason I bought it was I. At the time, there was a lot of sort of good vibes about James A. Caster. I think he's got a series up on Netflix or a stand-ups on Netflix. Uh, Off Menu, the podcast, mm-hmm. was uh, going great guns as well. So I bought this stupidly before I either 
watch a stand-up or listen to Off Menu. So I just thought, well, you know, it's getting good reviews. I'll have a read of it. It's just, it's awful. And it's the reason it's not for me is that the 366 albums that he bought and listened to in 2016, for one thing, that's excessive. And for another thing, of all of the artists, I went through all of them, I recognise three. Now, that's as that's more on me than it is on James Acaster. Uh, the three were Kanye West. Um, okay. So he, he picked up uh, Life of Pablo. Yes. Um, Beyonce's Lemonade, Lemonade and Run the Jewels as well. And the rest. Like, is there a lot of hip hop in that then? There's a lot of hip. I mean, you would actually maybe love this book, Tony. There's a lot of hip hop. There's a lot of um, what he calls world music. So, you know, um, he's got. A, yeah, I'm famous for that. I'm not. Oh, <laughs> just, love, just love it. Um, but no, there's a folk. Tony's famous for that. <laughs> but there's a lot of experimental music in it, and it's a lot of music. Um, I think there's a death metal band from Belgium which um, sing in the style of Ned Flanders and stuff like this, and he talks about them. It's just, it's not for me. The structure of the book as well, so it's part um, memoir almost of that year and part recommending the albums. But it's not, it doesn't really sit well together. So he, he spends a couple of paragraphs saying, you know, I was in New York, uh, I felt very lonely, my agent wasn't helping me, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden goes into, this experimental hip-hop album really <laughs> speaks to the troubles that face um, small-town America and stuff like that. And it's just, it's clunky. Uh, I don't think it's very well written. It's the number of crunching handbrake turns of tone and mood just do not sit well with me. And I listened to, so as I was going through, I was uh, picking some of the artists on the base of what he said and listened to them. And it was shite. Sounds like a bad episode of Desert Island Discs. Yeah, very bad episode. It's, there was actually a review on Goodreads uh, because I wanted to see if I was the only one that thought this. And I went through the one star and two star reviews and somebody said, you know that guy who sits in the pub and tells you you've just got to listen to this band, it'll change your life. You listen to them on the shite. That's just, it's a book full of that. And that's exactly what it is. It's not for me. It's, um, it struck me as pretentious, forced, and just not a very uh, entertaining read. And I gave up on it about three quarters of the way through after forcing myself to that point to see if there was actually any redeeming features. Getting big, uh, Principal Skinner, know the children must be wrong vibes off you, Gary. Yes, absolutely. Um, the thing is, this guy's I think he's about the same age as me. Um, but it's just, it's its really, really, it's a turgid read. It's that's, not that's well I look for in all my authors. They must be the same age as me. One year above or below, I shan't, uh, I shan't read Get them out. <laughs> uh, Tony, what, what's, uh, what's been grinding your gears over the past uh, couple of weeks? I said, I've actually, in terms of watching things and listening, I've not had a bad time with that. So uh, I got um, angered by being referred to as triggered yesterday by uh, bringing back Craig Fowler, the man we all hate, uh, on, on, on WhatsApp yesterday. Uh, and it just made me think about how, I think because during lockdown, I probably find myself on social media a lot more than I, than I normally do. And then sort of like withering my time and my life away. Uh, and it's just the use of sort of language like, triggered and fishing and stuff like that it's it, it sort of moved away from whatever meant and it's now just sort of like a get out clause for being an arsehole and the minute you're being called out as being an arsehole then you just start shouting triggered or i was fishing uh, and it sort of like started really really frustrating me 
in time. And then on top of that, I started going through it since I'm on it more now. Sort of those reoccurring memes that people have and the sort of like reoccurring banter. I don't know if there's another word to call it. That sort of like, it's like three days worth of everyone doing the same thing. This is a me, no one said, you know, those sort of like repetitive sort of things that, and it sort of started to really sort of frustrate me. Thank if you like. I think that's one of the problems with online, particularly it was like the Dominic Cummings. So you're going back to, you're going back about a week, Dominic Cummings, ill-advised uh, drive to, um, what cat was in the castle? Arnold's castle? Yeah. Arnold's castle. Uh, Dominic Cummings, who couldn't see, so decided to, to drive his wife and his four-year-old son <laughs> for 60 miles for, for, for an hour. Uh, but it was all that sort of stuff. It was like, like, Aye, people jumping in, it's like the hashtag, do you know the way to like Blockley Castle? And just that sort of, I, I, this is probably an extension of what you're saying, Tony, but mm-hmm. that sort of twee, liberal, sort of centrist sitting in this, oh, jolly, stiff upper lip, oh, let's have a laugh. That sort of stuff really annoys me. I, I don't know how I'm trying to word it. No, no. I, but I, that, that tweeness, like when folk call like a, like a, like a, um, a, a, a cock spurting spunk badger, like that sort of stuff, really fucking annoys me. No, I was, uh, I was actually the same people who use that, who uh, get involved with that sort of pattern. You know these people. You know who these people are. Call I, was, I saw homeless. You know, was that. it was it James James Gregg on Twitter who was talking about that the other day? I think no, James, I saw James Gregg's one of the best guys to follow on Twitter. He is and, very very funny. That's exactly Tony. That is exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, because I thought it was really true. Because then everyone started commenting on how it's the thick of it that has brought that into the sort of mainstream. Yeah, because they they done it, but they've done it quite well. And then there's people that don't get it when they're doing it as well. So then you just get a mishmash of everyone sort of really trying really hard to think of oh, something yeah, to add to the end of a swear like word and stuff. And it's like these things they only work if they're used very occasionally. That's where the humour is, is if it's used occasionally that you add the word badger after the word cunt or whatever. I don't know, like whatever you want to do. Yeah, it has to be very, very rare. Yeah, for that to work. It's that portmanteau swearing like a like a spunk puffin or something yeah. like that. It's now moved to these desperate similes and, and, and metaphors. <laughs> like the best one I've seen, the best one I've seen it was in the Daily Star. Of all places, the Daily Star. They recorded. They, they referred to Dominic Cummings as a short-sighted slaphead, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, which I thought was, was very funny. That's simple and to the point, you know. Rather than this, like I, oh, oh, I, horrendous. I know that sort of sort of wumble. Hijack. No, no, totally, no, no. I was just like, well, I don't know. I thought it would be something that would uh, ignite in everyone because I know you guys and most of our listeners are probably on Twitter sphere quite regularly and I think all of us are, are on social media enough that they would sort of maybe get their grind the gears grinded together. It's a fucking cesspit just now. Particularly you're seeing all this the, the horrendous stuff that's going on in uh, the United States just mm-hmm. now and in Minneapolis and I suppose I suppose when you look at that it's you know you're seeing stuff about like a, a CNN journalist being arrested for, for literally for doing nothing. A black CNN journalist being arrested for doing nothing. Whereas his, his white colleague a couple of blocks away is saying how well they've been treated, it absolutely fries your head. And it's, you know, some like doing this podcast and sort of talking about like shitey books and, and sort of like like people using shite language on Twitter. It's, it's good to talk about it because I just see if you didn't be able to get like worked up about petty stuff, you'd be absolutely going off your head about all the big stuff that, that goes on. It's a, it's a scary world at the moment. Absolutely. Aye. 
Sorry, Sean. <laughs> Sean's <laughs> going to talk about deep state now. Here we go. Patiently, <laughs> Sean. Uh, tell I, me, what do you want to get off your chest? This, this, I suppose this is quite a minor point, but it, it really wound me up at the end. It's from, uh, it's the film Jurassic Park. Whoa, 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 <laughs> oh, fucking Joel Scary, oh, the danger. Oh, I appreciate this might be slightly controversial. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, I've seen Jurassic Park 20 times, and I think it's a, I think it's a brilliant film. I can... I don't like to talk ill of the dead. Uh, uh, I can see past the fact that Bob Peck, who plays Muldoon, and I don't mean he's just dead in the film, he's, he's also dead in real life. I can okay. see past the fact that he isn't very good in it. He, he delivers lines and then just stares intensely into the distance. Oh, I he's can... got one of the best lines in the movie. Show me says, quiet, they're approaching a Tyrannosaurus paddock. <laughs> <laughs> and then does he stare intensely into the distance? <laughs> and I can see past the fact that the fence that the, that the Tyrannosaurus Rex bursts through when uh, Dr. Grant and the wee boy go that way, it's turned into a, a cliff face. I can see past all that as well. However, what really annoyed me last week when I watched it... You watch this on a weekly basis. <laughs> no, no, I just happened to watch the television last weekend. So I'd seen a tweet about this about two weeks ago and I'd never noticed it before, so I, I looked out for it this time. And see when uh, Dennis Nidre is in amongst the, the Dilophosaurus, uh, the beautiful but deadly addition to Jurassic Park. And you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know he's in big trouble, and he, he slips. That is, uh, you, you know if you're watching uh, You've Been Framed, and somebody <laughs> slips, and they might add a comedy whistle. <laughs> <laughs> There's one of those whistles when Dennis Nidri slips. <laughs> oh, no, that can't be, surely there is. Well, the next time you watch it, by all means, if there, is a, if there is another explanation, then by all means, tell me what it is, because it, it really bothered me, because it should not be there. Uh, but it certainly sounds like that kind of, as he slaps. <laughs> uh, it really, it really bothered me. The last time I slipped on mud, that was the exact noise that made like a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, <sort> of a... <laughs> I mean, life, life must be absolutely immense for you, Sean. The thing that's bothering you is a 1995 <laughs> movie where someone, maybe maybe you're not quite sure there might be a small whistle when someone falls. Life must there be. Is, there, is, there is definitely a whistle. It's why that whistle is there. <laughs> well, you know something, that's a, at the, the start when we did say we were struggling for stuff, really, Sean. That's, if that's the thing that's, that's really has annoyed you most. To be then. fair, you've got, you've got, you've probably got all the listeners scrambling for the their old DVD player, <laughs> recording that. So I'm, I'm taking the DVD out just to, just to, just to check, just to double check, fast forwarding that bit. Just to double check, says, "Ah, yes, I see, I see, what, I see what he's talking about." Fair play. That's a, that's a. And you'll get an eight-episode podcast about how there's a whistle, <laughs> why it should be there. Sean McGuigan goes undercover with it <laughs> to find out whether or not a slight whistle effect. <laughs> Post-production, the truth becomes closer to the truth. Yeah, the truth is out there. I across between the fugitives um, and um, desert island discs. Yes. Who knows? Some, some to, some to look forward to. Um, the, the thing that's annoyed me, and this is, I suppose, this is probably speaking to you, Tony, with this one. I know that, that that you've played this game. It's um, or not just played this game, but you've played video games in general. It is the grind. That is something that, that, that has annoyed me. It is the grind. Now, I've spoken about it in a, a few podcasts, a Final Fantasy VII Remake, um, a, a game that, that I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed, um, and I've, I've really done my best to, to, to get the most out of it. So I completed the game 
I think it was last weekend, certainly last week I completed the game and completed the story after mm-hmm. about 40 hours to, to, to complete the story. Now, when you complete the game, it gives you the opportunity to go back and revisit certain sections that, to pick up things you might have missed, like um, to pick up um, items, take on hidden bosses, learn different magic, uh, get characters' abilities. So to do that, I have sunk another 30 hours into the game to do this. So one of the things to, to, that's involved in that, as I said, it starts called the grind. And the grind is when you take on, to get your character strong enough to take on the game, sort of like uh, optional bosses and, and, and more superior monsters, you've got to fight lower level enemies and do it repetitively. Keep on doing it. Keep on fighting these lower level enemies to get a little bit of experience and a little bit of ability points to build up your materia, build up your character so they are in the strongest possible condition that they can go and fight the game's superior uh, animals. So I've done that. I've done that. I put thir- an extra 30 hours into the game. So I uh, went to... So basically all four characters are at level 50. All of their abilities yes. have been learned. All the materia has been mastered. Everything I've got is at the highest level possible. So I went to the VR simulation to take on Bahamut, the ultimate um, summon in the game. And I got my fucking head kicked in. Yeah, that's all. I've, I had my fingers crossed under the table that that's how this was going to finish. I've done it several times. I have tried to take on, like, the, in the Shinra building, take on the optional uh, VR monsters in hard mode. I've tried to play the game in hard mode. And, oh, my God, it is, like, from the way I've been playing it, it is, like, a huge step up. And that is even counting for all the extra bits and pieces I've put into it. It is so difficult and it feels as though those extra 30 hours that I've put into it have been for fucking <laughs> The grind in general uh, is probably one of the re- big reasons that I moved away from being a, sort of being into games as I got older because uh, I wasn't able to put the time and effort into it uh, uh, at different times and it's as I said because of the lockdown I was able to get the PlayStation back and I was able to re- I got Final Fantasy 7 the remake it was the mm. main reason I got the PlayStation because I thought if there was any game that was going to reignite my want and ability to go back and do the grind that I remembered as a kid, it would be that. Yeah. And it has been great because I've got, I've done that and I put about 50 hours into it uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And now I've got Metal Gear Solid 5. Oh man. And I've, I've not started it yet and I've got Uncharted 4 that I downloaded really? as well. Really? So it was like um, these games that I probably never have, thought that I would ever go back into it. Like, cause I like, I like there to be a good storyline in a game. That's sort of like what rips me in and, and gets me. Um, it's interesting you say that because like Metal Gear Solid 5, <clears throat> in terms of, I think I've said this to you before, Tony, in terms of a game to play, it is the best game I have ever played in terms mm. of you've, you've given a mission to, to do and you can basically do it however you want. However, you can go in all guns blazing, you can call for airstrikes, you can uh, stealth your way around. Uh, it's just, you've got so much range and so much option and it's so much fun. However, the storyline is, is really lacking. And I think there was, I don't know if you've read into it, but there was a dispute between Konami and Hideo Kojima, the, the guy who makes it. And he eventually was sort of like kicked off the pro, or, or certainly kicked off from um, Konami. And, and the game really feels as though it's unfinished. There's bits in the latter stages where missions are r- repeated except with sort of like conditions, which really seems like a bit of a cop-out. However, mm. to actually to play the game is wonderful. And Uncharted 4 is just, Uncharted 4 is brilliant. The Uncharted series is incredible. And that's, I really look forward to, to hearing your thoughts um, when, when you get going on that. Yeah. 
And I started my war zone because of Graham and I had loads of friends <laughs> doing that. So I've gave that a bash. It is tons of fun. Uh, even if you're rubbish, there's just ways of, there's ways of staying involved and having a good time as you build up your abilities to be good. So, uh, yeah, I would thoroughly recommend that as a, as a good laugh to play. Excellent. That sounds very good. Now, this is a bit of the show that, that I most look forward to. This is the movie review. And for this week's movie review, we <clears> are <throat> going to look back on the sequel to one of cinema's most influential comedies and arguably one of the greatest movies of all time. We are going to look back at Ghostbusters 2. Now, Ghostbusters 2 was released in 1985. Five, fuck off. Ghostbusters 2 was released, uh, whoever's editing this, please take that out. <laughs> Ghostbusters 2 was released <laughs> in 1989, five years after the original. And uh, Ivan Reitman's film sees the Ghostbusters come out of retirement to take on a new threat. It's New York City's negative energy, which is manifesting itself as a slime underneath the city and somehow bringing to life the spirit of a 16th century warlord trapped in a portrait. Gary, we'll start with you. What did you think of Ghostbusters 2? I liked it, which is probably not the searing hot take people are looking for, but it was, for me, the, if I'm watching a movie, I either want to be educated or entertained. Mm-hmm. And I was entertained, and that's all I was looking for. I think that the, the main plot device in it, the idea that you spoke of, of, you know, this river of pink goo, um, being caused by negative energy I thought it was a bit sort of you know higher English screenplay you know it was a bit of a heavy-handed metaphor of you know everyone's nicer everything's yeah, not nice. subtle at all no. No, <laughs> um, not subtle at all but I mean I'm not you know I'm not looking for uh, I can't think of a film with a very subtle message um, I'm clearly not a subtle guy but you know I wasn't looking for any great complicated plot I understood what was happening and why it was happening and given that it's a movie about ghosts in New York City, you can't really be looking for realism anyway. So who am I to complain? Um, I mean, there's a few things that I'll pick up on as we go through the film that I thought, that's a bit strange. And I was coming to it having not seen the original Ghostbusters in at least a decade. So um, glad, so glad you put in since there. I thought there was a long pause. Yeah. And no, no, going, no. Fuck <laughs> this, fuck this world. <laughs> I've never seen it. No, um, I, and I have actually, the more that I watch Ghostbusters 2, the more I realise I have seen this before, but it just clearly hadn't stuck in my head. And that's probably the um, the biggest flaw, is that it's fairly forgettable. There's a couple of people in it. Um, Janosch, um, the, the sort of use... Uh, he, Peter McNichol. Yeah, yeah, Peter McNichol, who was actually in the Bean movie. I don't know if people have seen that. Yes. Mr. Bean. And yeah. it's totally, he plays totally different characters in it. Um, so I quite enjoyed that. Um, and the mayor is played by, um, and I only remember this because I'm watching The Sopranos at the moment, uh, the mayor is also Tony Soprano's lawyer. Lawyer, yeah. David Margulius. Oh, oh yeah. 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 There you go. Um, so it was quite entertaining from that point of view of, I mean, obviously everyone knows uh, Dan Aykroyd and uh, Harold Ramis, Bill Murray. Um, I know I've forgotten someone. That's Danny terrible. It'll, it'll come to me. Um, Danny Hudson, the black guy. And that was actually going to be one of my points, is that he's just there he's barely given any lines and there's not really any explanation given of what he's been up to um, since the last Ghostbusters. Because he comes in late in the original Ghostbusters, doesn't he? He gets his pack. Yeah. In, in the original, I mean, I've, I've watched, I watched uh, all three Ghostbusters movies recently. So I watched uh, the original Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters uh, 2, and I watched the, the, the horrendous, uh, I can't actually none good to say about it, the, the 2016 remake of, of the original. And, um, I, I think it'd been a wee while since I've seen Ghostbusters two a few times recently, but I, I watching Ghostbusters, I think Ghostbusters is just world class. You know, I, 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 such a good movie. 
yeah. I would say, I, would, I, would, I don't say this slightly, I would actually call Ghostbusters like a perfect movie because it is so tight, the script's so tight and everything flows from, from this, from the point to that point to that point to that point perfectly. I, there's only a couple of bits in it that I was kind of like, right, with um, Ernie Hudson playing Winston Zeddemore. I can see why he was added in, uh, but there wasn't probably no need, probably no need to have him because he is pretty superfluous. To and there's a scene in it where Dan Aykroyd gets his dick sucked by an apparition, and I thought that is really out of place. That that is really out of place. Other than that, though, Ghostbusters is amazing, and I think reading the the Wikipedia page for Ghostbusters two, I found that very illuminating. And effectively, Ghostbusters 2 is a movie that nobody really wanted to make because I think that, because the first one's perfect. The first one's so self-contained in, in its own wee movie. And then, of course, there was a spin-off, all like the toys and the cartoons. Mm. And because it was so successful, obviously there was a demand from the studio to, to, to remake it. And I think that five years had, 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 um, had passed on. Nobody really wanted to make it. And I think that, it, you can kind of tell that in, in, in some aspects of it. I don't think it's as, as strong a plot as the other one. There are times, there are a couple of times where Bill Murray gives off the impression that he'd much rather be elsewhere. Certainly not to the extent he was in the, the 2016 version. He really does not give a fuck in the 2016 <laughs> version. Really doesn't doesn't want to be there. But I, I, I think... See if that was on its own. I think Ghostbusters Two would be a, a a good movie, like a good mm. solid, like like three out of five movie. I just think because it is in the shadow of such a a massive, so like spellbinding movie, cultural abhorrence as well. The first one's a cultural sort of enigma for like for anyone sort of our age. I would argue, really, especially. Yeah. I would say that's that's where it suffers. That's what suffers. If it wasn't its own movie. I think it'd be very good, but because it's, it's compared to the, the as it would be compared to the predecessor, and it follows a lot of the, there's once the I'll, I'll come on to it, but I think it follows it's very similar in, in parts to the first movie. Mm-hmm. I it, it, it's interesting that I think it was Gary that mentioned that Winston, the character Winston feels like an afterthought. See if you go into the 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 kind of bio of the film on Netflix. Netflix describes the Ghostbusters as a trio. Is yeah, yeah I saw that, yeah. I wonder which one they're missing out here. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I am going to go out on a limb here and suggest that I am the only one of the four of us that went to the cinema to see this when it was released. Uh, and I appreciate it as essentially a, a, a kid's film. But I thought, even watching it as a kid, it was, it was, it was fairly boring. It didn't have the, the kind of zinginess or the... Mm. The kind of set pieces of the first one, with the exception of maybe the courtroom scene, yeah, courtroom uh, scene, guys that have been uh, have been sent to the electric chair. The that, that, that's quite a decent scene. As for the rest, uh, it, it almost feels like there's there's scenes missing, and I know all films has uh, go through rigorous editing pro- processes, but it feels like important things have been cut. Be sure, and there's one bit that, that I really it's the scene where so they've they've captured the Scaleri brothers. Then the next scene is Janine picking up the phone and saying, Ghostbusters, we're back in business. It's kind of like, well, in, in, the, in the, the first movie, it's about they get kicked out of the, the university and then Venkman's got the idea, let's go into business for ourselves and become Ghostbusters and they, they hire the firehouse and they make those terrible TV adverts and mm-hmm. uh, that, that sort of kicks it in motion there. But it really seems to be the Capture the Scalari brothers back in business. And then there's a montage of them catching all these, these ghosts and it, Where have it, all those ghosts been? 
Where have all these ghosts been? Why do people not believe? Why do people not believe that there's ghosts don't exist anymore? Surely there's a real package of evidence over the last sort of ten years that ghosts definitely exist. Aye, and that's what I think. That's why it worked so well in the 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 first movie is that these guys were just basically like exterminators. Mm-hmm. You know, like that one of my when I'm going back and watch the original, there's a bit where they go to the 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 hotel to capture Slimer, and there's a bit where Dan Aykroyd's cutting about with it's like a PKE meter, and he's got a fag. It's just hanging. He's not even smoking it. It's hanging from his top lip down. And I say, these guys are just absolutely like jobbers that, that are doing this. They're like just exterminators. There's nothing cool about the Ghostbusters. And that, the way it was set up for them to, to eventually um, take on Gozer and, and, and Zul, I really liked how that was done in the first movie, but it really seemed, as you say, Sean, there was like a good like four or five minute scene showcasing them. Let's get, like, can we get back into up. business? And kicking on from there. And also, like, but, there's also a lot missing at the at the very start as well, because I yes. think that's a really, it's really like I think it's quite a good bold idea to show them all like not doing so well. Uh, it's only Winston and uh, Ray that are trying to keep the sort of brand alive, doing the um, doing the kids parties and quite he an interesting. He man, he yeah, yeah, man. quite interesting. Fan. The guy that says uh, they're full of crap. That's Jason yeah, yeah, yeah. Reitman, and he's now going to be directing the brand new Ghostbusters. Oh, right, so, all right. So he's grew he's grew up, and he's going to be directing the brand new the, the one with Paul Rudd that's coming out. Yeah. Uh, in the next. I like year. that idea, Tony. I like that idea that it was like the if you you know because the movie it's set five years because of all the the, the stuff going on outside. Mm-hmm. But I did like that idea that the Ghostbusters had effectively been dismissed as frauds you know like they had they had become the heroes of the city the heroes of new york city and then people like they get hit by all the like fine the bureaucracy of it all yeah, yeah, yeah. Bureaucracy of it all. and there was the I, I like that idea but it's like all of a sudden they, they capture the scalari brothers all that stuff seems to be forgotten and it's just and I rushed that they could in the first the first movie they could have kept like most of the funny bits of the show, and I think I, I read it at some of the film as it wasn't actually that funny uh, and where it should be and even though I thought that was maybe a bit unfair, but I still think the opening scenes are where there is loads of humour to be had, and I think they could have stretched that out a bit more. They could have had more fun with that and gave more insight to them because like, you've got Venkman doing that two-bit psychic that's stuff. Cool. That's really funny. Uh, that's, yeah, that, that's really good. And like, so all that, they could drag that all out more and more, I think. They could have an extra sort of five, ten minutes of enjoying where they all are right now before rushing on. And that's what I think. I think the film, while I enjoyed it and... I mean, there has to always be the remembrance of, like, there's still really good scenes in it, and it's still the Ghostbusters, it's still the original writers, and it is still tons and tons of fun for, for everyone of all ages, but I still think they, it seemed rushed. You know, so you're right, there was a, there was a conversation that it's after uh, Winston and Ray leave the kids' party, and they're taking their packs off, and they put it in the car, and this conversation was like, you know, five years ago, we were the toast of the city, and then we get hit by all these fines. It's like, I, I, that's a really clunky way of introducing that, you know, like show how the, I, I'm fairly kind of, you're right, it kind of explored that a wee bit more. Of course, there's a bit where Bill Murray, the mayor, is inexplicably in the same TV studio where Bill Murray is filming this horrendous <laughs> It's actually really funny. There's the guy in it, um, Milton, and he keeps calling him Milt and Milty, the guy that he's got in the guest. I thought that was, I thought that was really funny. Uh, but why the mayor would be in that office and then, the same sort of character as the Walter Peck from the first one. You know the guy from the Environmental Protection Agency. Mm-hmm. It's the mayor's assistant who eventually has a Ghostbusters committed, uh, which seemed a, a real sort of like 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 jump. Because um, they're a bit where also, they're, they're 
also a little bit of a plot hole given that in an actual New York courthouse, two ghosts were <laughs> released. Out. Yeah. And they weren't, you know, going so on. Surely you buy, like, buy into more of what they're saying. Yeah, if they're rather telling than going on about the slime, actually yeah. go, do you not remember that thing in the courthouse? The judge, we can get him in here right now, but no. It seems quite harsh in general, if you remember that in the first film, they saved the world from a demigod. And then within five years, everybody just thinks they're, they're absolute jobbers. I mean, I know... I quite bought that though. I actually thought yeah. that's kind of how the world would work. That the world yeah, is totally, a harsh place. Totally. So I kind of kind of thought that that is exactly what would happen. They'd be celebrated for only two minutes, and then suddenly everyone would want their pound of flesh. After it's kind of how I view how that would exactly play out. What did you were... think of uh, Vigo the Carpathian as the the main villain? I don't think they really used him enough because um, obviously what they did was they had him. Um, I don't know if you'd say occupy Janosch, but you know he was using him as his human. Um, I forget the word that they use with vampires, the friendlies. Mm-hmm. Like he was the friendly to go and get the baby and everything, but he didn't obviously emerge until the very end. And I think I read online that the actor that was playing him, um, it was similar to Darth Vader, how Darth Vader was played by Dave Prowse, and uh, he realised that they were actually using James Earl Jones' voice. But apparently, <laughs> the guy who was playing Vigo the Carpathian did not know that they were using someone else's voice until he was at the premiere watching <laughs> it. Which is even worse. He becomes so less... I quite like... He becomes so less scary when he comes out of the painting and it's I, got the flowing locks and stuff like that. It just seems, <laughs> looks like a pretty cool guy, man. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was, it was quite good. Like The way, the way they sent with the backstory from is quite good. Say, oh, we've checked into Vigo the Carpathian, like Vigo the Cruel, Vigo the Torturer. Yeah. And it was like he was like hung, drawn, quartered, shot, roughly 105 years old and was like beheaded. <laughs> and even then when he was beheaded, he was still able to come up with some like, final words. And I think that the... I do like the way that, that he sort of introduced himself to, to Peter McNichols, uh, sort of Janosch. And I remember being quite, as a child, being quite scared of it. The bit where his forehead bulges out through, yeah. the, through the painting. And the bit is when I was a wee boy that, that really scared me. It's during the power cut when Janosch goes to Dana's apartment and he's creepy. She won't let him in. But when he's walking down the corridor and That's his the eyes thing. become torched. Is that not like the thing, really? Is that not like a homage to the thing where he's eyes... I thought it was more Terminator, like, maybe. Terminator. Like, I think it's a big homage to a lot of sci-fi around the time. I, I, I found think that everyone... quite, quite unsettling. Um, but as a, but as a villain, the... yeah, his, kind of, his motives are... like That was the kind of thing that I found a bit strange, was like that how he was connected to the ghosts. That was the thing I didn't really understand. How, um, like, if the river slime was all being directed to this museum where this painting was. What does that have to do with the rest of the ghosts that have... Um, of the Titanic coming back or uh, or a woman's jacket becoming loads of chinchillas. <laughs> and <they're going> away. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I love that. That whole bit is, uh, is great. Uh, with the, my God, my God, my God. My God yeah, the music's yeah, absolutely yeah. brilliant. Well, yeah, yeah the, the scene of just where the, the mayor's looking out and he's like, somebody get me the Ghostbuster. Um, like, that, that, that is a celebration moment when you're watching a film. That's absolutely brilliant. But that's the exact scene. See, that's, that's what I was going to say in touch of how it really follows the, the, the first movie because that exact same scene happens. There's a bit where the, the priest comes into the, to, to the thing and you know, he kisses his ring and they, they look out and they see over Dana Barrett's building, there's a sort of really orange like shard of light where it's all been concentrated on uh, on, on on Goza. But the, the film effectively finishes 
the same way as, as the first one does, where yeah. this big, uh, sort of something massive is walking through the streets of New York City. And obviously in the, the first one, it was um, Ray tries to, has the vision of the stay-puff marshmallow man. You know, the, the nicest thing you could think of, whereas this one, it's the, the spray... It's actually daft thing about they spray the slime. How right? There's a thing. Positive, positive energy. It's positive energy, Craig. Man, come on. The bit where they've they've gone to the museum, they've shot it with a proton pack. They realise it doesn't work, so they take an enormous quantity of this. They go back to, to wherever it is, take an enormous quantity of this slime, take it to Liberty Island, sp- set up a, a stereo system. Spray it across inside the set. Get Jackie Wilson on. Play this horrendous cover of Jackie Wilson. And that somehow stimulates the statue to, to move where they want it to move to. No, they're controlling it with a Nintendo controller. Yeah, they've like, got a Nintendo like controller. But, how, but that's the thing. That, that's that's the thing. fun, Craig. That's fun. A couple of leaps there. <laughs> then, this is something I noticed, right? I don't know if you guys noticed it. So that Statue of Liberty crashes through and they, they abseil down into the, the thing, take on Vigo Carpathian, etc., etc. At the end credits, when they leave the museum, the Statue of Liberty is lying. Lying on side. What happened? Did the Statue of Liberty lie down? Did it fall down? Right? <laughs> but then you kick on a couple of minutes further as the end credits go, the Ghostbusters are given the key to the city on Liberty Island. The Statue of Liberty is back. Right. Well, it can walk, Craig. It just would have went straight back, right? Oh, is this, oh, this job done? Aye, right, I'm, going, I'm headed back. They just got back on the Nintendo and took them back. Uh, I know, and then they got the key to the city. After they defeat Vigo the Carpathian, is the slime still there? That's, uh, those are the big questions that people want to know. Is the slime still there? Uh, It'll be positively charged now, though. So now everyone will be really... Friendly at the end and singing Old Lang Syne. Aye, that's why uh, the, the mayor's assistant's even there who wanted them committed yes. just before it, now he's celebrating. Did, did you not think that, so bear in mind, that, as, as you said, about Vigo the Carpathian and how, how difficult it was to, to kill him previously. There was all those things that they had to do, and yet still his, uh, his head was still able to, to, to do commands or whatever. They seemed to kill him, or sorry, dispense with him very easily uh, at the end of the film. That, that, it, it just felt like quite an easy end-of-level boss to, to, to defeat. It was, it was interesting that, because... They had a different ending to the film, and they reshot it because the the, the feedback was that they, uh, they they managed to defeat Vigo too easily. So if that was the the kind of second version, I would I would dread to see what the first version was like. <laughs> what was he done? He was squished in slime and then hit with the proton packs. Yeah, and then it just becomes the face. Yeah. There was, was probably just the case of him, like changed. ripping the painting in the first place. There you go. There was a strange bit where <laughs> it wasn't really explored until the end where. Like Ray gets possessed by the painting. There's a bit where he's cleaning it and he sort of makes eye contact with it and he sort yeah. of becomes transfixed by it. And then later on, this, the same thing happens. And then, he's but that's then you just shoot Ray with a slime. And it's like, right, no bother. The other thing I didn't like as well was, was Dana Barrett. In the, in the first movie, you know, she becomes, uh, is it the gatekeeper? Aye, she becomes mm-hmm. a gatekeeper. It's uh, Lewis Tully becomes a key master. Brilliant. Lewis Tully, kind of a bit wasted in this one because there's not really much for him to do but in the first one he's, he's amazing as Dana's neighbour he's like so mm-hmm. funny in it that scene where he, he's taking a party guest and introducing them to everyone around the party apparently that was all ad-libbed like giving all these people these backstory very very funny whereas this one he's really good in the courtroom scene I'd say that the bit where uh, ah, yeah, yeah. 
Venkman's trying to tell him like basically what to say. And he's sort of just murmuring to him and he's he's coming out with all this crap. He's really good. Well then when he, when he goes that or they uh, well at the end they I turned into a dog and they helped me. Yeah. So <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then uh, Igor's like uh, thanks uh, thanks for your pointless. pointless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, long but pointless. Um, but but Dana Barrett doesn't have anything to do in this. You know, she be like we say, she becomes like the gate. Just a love interest. She just becomes a love interest in this. Really. Aye, she she's uh, she doesn't have much to do other than become the baby. Really looks like you see Yaskalinen. <laughs> <laughs> Someone else wanted to say that the baby really looks like you see Yaskalinen, and that was the whole thing about like that I didn't quite understand. Like Janos is basically becomes a friendly to Vigo the Carpathian to get the baby, and he eventually gets the baby by becoming a nanny, ghost, a ghost nanny, a ghost nanny. Yeah, I'm gonna have to interject here. I'm gonna have to interject here because that uh, scene. Um, that's scary that's scary haunted, haunted me as a child to like oh. points that you would never know I had the book I had the book of Ghostbusters and it got like the so you'd look through it before I went to sleep and, and I'm not lying if I ever opened the page where they saw that uh, that scene the picture that scene I would have nightmares and that was an absolute oh. like ongoing thing for about two years of my life that if I ever saw that I would have guaranteed nightmares. Um, Age 15 to 17 was yeah, a really yeah, tough time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, see, that, so that, like, that, that really, really haunted me. That is a scary scene. And that is, that's actually didn't realise that that was actually Peter McNichol in drag play, playing the nanny. Like, Peter McNichol's the best thing in the movie. Peter McNichol's so good in it. But it's like, Janos, the whole thing was he had to bring the baby. And it's like, I, I, that was the thing. I, I, when, he, when he goes to her house, there's was, there was some inconsistencies in it there. He goes to her house. And I thought that might become a thing where he actively, like, snatch, he himself snatches a baby from her rather than sending out a spirit to do it. I kind of didn't quite understand that. Miles that easier if you're able to just fly across town why and have an extended arm and pick up the baby and pop yeah, it in like, Why didn't he do that in the first place? <laughs> Maybe he hadn't, he hadn't got up to that power level yet. <laughs> yeah. The bit said, the this were really funny. I thought the funniest line in the whole movie, and it was a wee bit xenophobic, I would say, Bill Murray, sorry, Venkman visits the, the museum and he's taking the piss out of Vigo and he's really funny. He's like, oh, he's just sad because he's lost his kitten here. We'll paint a wee kitten for him in, in the corner. And Janos is like, no, 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 get out, get out, get out, get out. And then Venkman says to him, well, you're not going to get a green card with that kind of attitude. <laughs> <laughs> but bit xenophobic, but, but, but very, very funny. Of the time. Aye. Sorry, Gary, we didn't you the, the, the only other thing I was going to say is the, I mean, obviously it, it subtly refers to at times the fact that it is a sequel um so there's a lot of talk about the merchandise because i think ghostbusters was the first major along with star wars the first major sort of merchandise movie oh, I noticed that and there's a there's a few lines in it where um like i think venkman says to a woman oh you know and um, just tell the kid to buy it yeah there's you know, just five dollars or something like that which i thought was quite good but they're being taken into the the sanitarium there's the guy who holds the door open for them and says, oh, my Ghostbusters, my kid, uh, my, my, my kid brother loves a proton pack. You know, yeah, I, I noticed that there. Not for kids. Yeah. Um, uh, but that, that could maybe be a criticism as well, because I think a lot of people think that they moved into the more family-friendly territory in this movie compared to the first. It's clearly not as quite as dark as the first movie, I would say. And sort of the humour does, in the way, like with Bill Murray... And Sigourney Weaver, that sort of becomes more rom com family comedy yeah. style. Right. And there's a criticism of it is the reason they've done that is to keep it simple for kids to be able to go and watch it so they would be able to go and buy all the... Because they're their main audience in terms of buying all the gear. 
think, uh, think, and so that, think, that had an impact on the movie and how it was made. I think part of the reason as well was, so in between the first Ghostbusters film and the second Ghostbusters film, uh, the real Ghostbusters, the cartoon, yeah. had mm. become really popular. So I, I think there was a discussion about how they could get the, 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 the kids that were, that had, that were the, the, the audience for the cartoon that had made that such a big hit was how to try and bring them on board as well. So as you say, it, it probably became more of a kid's film. But the, the other thing that I didn't like about it was, um, I'm not sure who recorded it, but they uh, reworked the theme tune at one point mm-hmm. during the yeah, film. I, yeah. I just thought that was unnecessary. You want to hear unnecessary, Gary? Go and watch uh, Ghostbusters 2016 and hear a dubstep <laughs> version of uh, Oh, yuck. If you want. That sounds... But can, I did, can honestly... We talk, can we talk so, about the 2016 version? Who's, I know you've seen it, Sean. You guys, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it a long time ago. I He's, thought it was absolute dug meat. There's Aye. nothing that has ever been said to me to make me want to go and watch it. <laughs> it's been it's just, categorically it's worth, slated. But it's worth watching just to see how, how to badly remake a movie. And it's the, the thing is, it's badly directed. I don't think it's actually written. I think it was just scenes. Started. So here's what happens in this scene. Go and be funny. You guys are funny. So go and just be funny. And, and, and they're not. It's just really not funny. And the slightest, it's just annoying. Really annoying. I, uh, I wanted it to be good because it was such a rigmarole uh, before it was released. Probably because it's, it's four women in, in the leads and people just wanted to dislike it. So I... I, I Really, really wanted to enjoy it, and and I could not. Sean, uh, there's a story uh, about that. Is the I watched a good YouTube video. I mean, I'm recommending them before Red Letter Media. They've got a sort of like mini series called Scientist Man, and Scientist Man explains all this sort of stuff that, about about movies. And they looked into the Ghostbusters 2016, and they they, they looked at like a percentage of negative comments, and it was like the the number of people who you know they looked at the trailer, for instance. And they looked at the trailer and it was something like tens of millions of people had watched the trailer. Of that, only a percentage had actually like thumbs up or thumbs down the video. And of that, even a smaller percentage had left comments. And of that, they looked at like a thousand comments. They just, they looked at a thousand comments at random. And of that, like even a smaller percentage, uh, like, like said, like they, that were misogynistic comments. And that was the thing that Sony latched on to, to try and market this movie. So that there's the theory, a bit of a conspiracy theory, is that they knew they had a shite movie on their hands. So to try and drum up some interest into it, they played the angle about um, that it was, like there's basement dwellers, uh, mm. mummies boys, you know, like man babies and stuff like that. And that's just, it just doesn't seem to be the case. You know, having a lot of goals at Craig Fowler today. Good, like... good intentions. You know, you can't give something a pass on, on good intentions. It's just, it's just not a, it's just a, a really poor movie. Poor movie. To go back to Dana Barrett, though. Sorry, uh, no, no, I think um, <laughs> with, the, with the Sigourney Weaver, I do think she always deserves immense credit watching her because uh, she has scenes where, and it was the same in the first one, where like, they're meant to be quite scary, but they're obviously quite ridiculous, like when the big pink slime's coming to get her baby. Yeah. Uh, and obviously that is ridiculous. Obviously it, looks, it even looks quite funny. But she has an amazing ability to... Still, like the blood curdling screams and the fear in her eyes and the way yeah. she acts at those points really makes you buy in it. And they sort of ignore the fact that there's a big pink, sort of gooey monster that's suddenly turned into a mouth coming to get a baby. I'm actually like worried about Oscar and I'm worried about her because like she's, and then when her baby's driving away at the beginning and it's got the dun dun dun, like the, the soundtrack's always great for it as well yeah. when you're going through it. She's very good. Like the chemi- her chemistry with, with, uh, with, with Bill Murray's ex, I mean, there's a bit where. 
that, that I thought was really funny is the bit where Ray and Egon visit the apartment and just as about to shut the door, Venkman sort of bursts in. And yeah. Hi, Dana. And he's sort of giving her this really smouldering look. I thought that was really funny. And, and Venkman's stuff with Baby Oscar was really good as well. I thought that was really sweet. A lot of times he's, playing, he's like, he's cold enough, he's like, ah, well, they, they, they grow his character quite a lot in this film, and that's why I thought it was quite uh, weird, because I look back at criticisms and what happened in the past, and uh, Bill Murray was meant to be the one that didn't like his role in it, and I thought that they actually, he, he said he didn't get enough screen time and all that, and I thought that he sounded a bit babe, like a bit babyish himself, uh, <laughs> because I thought he got plenty of screen time, he got loads, he got, he got one-liners, he, his character got to grow, he got the love interest. I was like, what the fuck? Do you want everyone else just to fuck off? And you just wander about. <laughs> Are you a ghostbuster? Yeah. Yeah. So there's no quotes there. And that just sort of seemed to be the, the sort of tone of Bill Murray over that. And it is quite weird that sort of such a culturally important movie, it, it almost became like a, like a rope around their neck for Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd over the years because it was always, the, everyone always had about, is there another Ghostbusters game made? Are you going to be doing this? Are you going to be doing that? And that's what was a constant theme for their entire careers after this, even to this day, for like Dan Aykroyd. Uh, and we saw what happened. Harold Ramis, had, Harold Ramis had to die to get away from it. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, I think you're right as well. You read the, the, uh, about Ghostbusters 2016, how that came into conception. <clears throat> and that's very interesting as well, where, like the like Ernie Hudson, uh, Bill Murray, uh, Harold Ramey, Stan Aykroyd, they they all they could veto it. They had they had stuff written into their contracts with Columbia Pictures where they could veto uh, Ghostbusters movies, and that's something that that Bill Murray would, did consistently. I'm sure they spent years trying to get it off mm-hmm. the ground, but but never did because it was he, always Bill Murray. It was always uh, Bill Murray. It was meant to be the the stopping point because he wanted to come back as a ghost in some. He didn't want to be alive in others. He wanted like apparently loads of creative control for like uh, for the creation of the next movie. Well, but then he was supposing he knew he did come up. He was he was probably right. It's not very it's not very good. And and I we do a Ghostbusters three. I don't know. It might have been interesting if they'd have taken it in like a a, a different direction because that's the thing. It was like one and two are, are too similar. But I mean. That is, when you think about it, like all sequels, there's not many sequels that you can say are completely different to the first one. I'm talking like the Chain Spotting and T2 are different. Halloween three, not seen it, but I'll Hall- Halloween, Halloween, because they, they decided with the Halloween franchise that rather than having Michael Myers in every single one, they were oh, going to have a completely Halloween. different story different. every Halloween. Is that be like scientists or something like that? Uh, it a is. Toys. A, 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 I, I think they're supposed to be, I, I, can't, I can't remember, it's some kind of cult or aliens, I can't remember, but they've developed these uh, pumpkin masks and uh, anybody that wears them uh, at a certain time, the masks turn into uh, snakes and, and kind of beasties and they would, they would basically kill the, the children who, who put them on. Uh, it's, it's terrible, but uh, that is completely different from the other Halloween films. No Michael Maybe Myers. hunted down by Michael Myers and gutted like a fish, even as a child, to be honest. <laughs> So, would you, would you, I'm going to use the red letter media terminology here, would you recommend Ghostbusters 2? Yes. I mean, despite like there is a lot, there's flaws to the movie, but I totally agreed with you earlier when you said if you take away the first one, this is still a good movie. It's still got the original writers, it's still got the characters, they still do funny set pieces, they're still running about town chasing ghosts, you've still got good like sort of Motown music in the background for these things. People are coming off the Titanic as ghosts. <laughs> there's proton packs. They're they're crossing the what's it? They're crossing the streams 
Uh, all this is still there. They're still catching ghosts. They're still dressed like that. They still have the car. You've got this list of things that are still fucking absolutely brilliant. Uh, and there's no way that you can't say there wasn't smiles on your face at points and you weren't thoroughly entertained. But again, when we, if you're going to criticise it like, a, like an adult, that there is plot holes, there is flaws. Uh, you can see the issues with how it was made. But still, it's fucking Ghostbusters 2. Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Hal Ramison in it. Let's crack on. <laughs> Sean <laughs> I uh, I thought it felt like a kind of a filler of a film almost as if they were uh, putting off time until they come up with a better idea almost it was just it was too close to the, the original there were points in it that, that I enjoyed and I, I didn't dislike it I just uh, I, if you are a if you are a real Ghostbusters fan then yes I would recommend it because uh, it's good to it's good to see the gang again Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good to see their faces, but uh, I, I would give it, I would give it two point five out of five. Oh come on! Oh come on! It's not as bad as that. Sure. That's unfair. Well, it's, 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 it's fair to midling. Two point five out of five is a fair to midling score. Uh, yeah, but nobody really, you know as well as I do, that when you half a film, when you half it, that means it's horrendous. It isn't as simple as... I don't think it was. You do your football ratings, you do your football ratings and you give someone a five. You're not saying they had an average game. You're saying they had a shit game. Yeah, that's what you're saying when you give a five. Yeah. But that, I don't think it's good enough to justify a three, but it's certainly not good enough to justify a, a two. So I've, I've, I've really, I've met in the middle here. Let okay. me tell you something. What, what, what are you, Gary? Be the arbiter. You're the you're the man. You're the man in the middle there. What do you think of it? I totally disagree with Sean. Um, if you think about any film that has two in it, they're usually bogging. Whereas this one, on its own and also as part of the overall story, it still fits. It might not be as good, but it's still a decent movie. It's still entertaining. It's not Lion King two. Lion King two was an abomination of a movie. Um, I'm just bringing it up as an example of a movie with two fast of the turn. It's, it's not as good. Um, but no, it's for me, it was an entertaining movie. Um, you can't ever bottle lightning twice. A movie as iconic and as groundbreaking as Ghostbusters can't be replicated, but they did as good a job as they could. Okay, 2.75 out of two. Yeah. I'm two. Oh, wow, it's fucking absolutely brilliant. There we go. It's broke the honour. <laughs> I can only echo the, the stuff that, that, that particularly what, what Tony said. I think that on its own, it's a good movie, but it's, you're comparing it to, to like, like I say, could be one of the best movies of all time, such a cultural touchstone. Yeah, I think it's good. Flawed, but good. I think it's um, three stars, at least three stars. That's what I'd be giving it. That's what I'd be giving it. Entertaining. I found it unsettling at points. I laughed a lot. I mean, I think that's what Mark Kermode says. If you can laugh more than five times, five times is a minimum for a comedy. And you find yourself laughing at least five times and then the film has done its job. So Ghostbusters 2, we've yet to give anything a kick in on this. We've done four movies and yet to, yet to give anything a kick in. I think it's a lot more interesting to talk about flawed movies. And Gary, you uh, wanted to talk about Little Man by the Wines Brothers. And within seconds of you putting that in the group chat, I was like, no, we're going to talk about Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> I don't like There's got to be a line drawn. Right. Even though it would, could be fun to like pan a movie, like Freddy Got Fingered or something like that. Yeah, the, more there are a lot of movies out there that are terrible, and I think you've watched most of them, Craig Telfer, so I was just trying to find one that uh, you maybe yeah. hadn't watched yet. You can add to your it's only, library. There's only so many ways you can, you can give something a kick in. So like, like when Fowler suggested, like Fowler originally had suggested doing Goodfellas, and it's like, I'd love to watch Goodfellas and talk about it because it's amazing, but it's just like a four, four uh, flabby boys sitting around saying, yeah, Ghostbusters, uh, sorry, Goodfellas is amazing. Whereas when he chose Flight, Flight was a lot more interesting because it's 
there's a lot of good in it, but there's also bits that where you're just like you're slapping your forehead and being like, oh, come on. So uh, who knows what we'll be talking about next week? Uh, I quite fancy doing a comedy. No, no, we've done a comedy, a horror movie. Then maybe Halloween three, Sean. You've, you've put that in my put, Halloween H two O. Halloween H two O. Who knows? We'll put yeah. it. I picked Ghostbusters two uh, this time, so we'll like. It would be maybe quite interesting to do the Halloween the remake of Halloween. The I like that. One I was talking, the one I was talking about earlier, because it is like sort of the first that's moved away from the original that's got any sort of traction and being sort of like a decent movie, but but and it's certainly certainly not perfect by any means, but it is quite good that might be a good movie to go and, and visit well listen and a film where they, they basically just dispense with the previous eight films that had yeah, come yeah. before it they just Who go yeah, they just go with the first two don't they and then nah. move it from there this is basically we're turning this conversation into sort of stuff we, the shite we would put in the group chat when we're debating for it but we'll, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we'll draw a line under the movie review there and we'll move on to what to watch where we'll recommend something to, to do in, in the week ahead now that lockdown's easing you can get out a wee bit more spend time with friends and family there's now a perfect opportunity to expand your cultural horizons either. Sean McGuigan, what are you what to watching? I am in, I am watching and enjoying First Dates Hotel, which mm-hmm. uh, obviously anybody that's seen First Dates will know exactly what First Dates Hotel is. They just uh, they just move the, the first date experience to the Amelfi Coast in a, a kind of lovely hotel that's, uh, that, that's there. If, if you haven't seen it, they basically set up uh, two singletons on a on a first date, and then we we watch how it progresses, and a, a fairly simple premise. And then at the end of the date, they decide whether or not they they, they want to see each other again. But the, and as much as it's uh, this was a simple premise, and it probably sounds pretty pretty rubbish. And when, when I'd first seen it, I thought I will not, I am not going to enjoy this. But it hits a kind of sweet spot that's somewhere between. Uh, cringe-inducing and uplifting, and you sometimes end up rooting for people. Uh, I, I know that can be heavily edited, but they, they, they'll quite often introduce uh, maybe the person's backstory. So suddenly the person might say that maybe their, 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 their spouse has passed away or whatever, and, and suddenly you, you find yourself rooting for that person. Or you might just instantly take a liking to them as soon as they, they, they walk into the restaurant. And the amount of times where it gets to the end and it's the you know the the guy and the girl or the two guys or whatever that are sitting there, and you just hope that the two of them really want to see each other again. And like sometimes you're like yes when when the two of them agree to go on a second date. And and sometimes I find myself being quite crestfallen when somebody says yeah I, I'd really like to see her again. And she's like ah, no I, I didn't really feel there was a connection. And you're like oh no like you really feel for them. I'm totally with you. I found that we're watching uh, the, the first dates. Uh, who's the French guy that does the um, that invites them in? Uh, I can't remember his name. He's, also, he's a very cool, suave guy. Uh, but like, I, I found like uh, my my girlfriend watched it a lot years ago, and then I remember it's one of those you get you sit down and you start watching it, and it's exactly that. You are just roped in, and you are suddenly you just everyone who's turned down is we're all guys who I'm sure have been turned down in our past. Uh, that sort of bullet, that bullet to the soul is uh, is quite hard to watch sometimes. And for a reality TV show, like everyone can, everyone can relate to it. It is very relatable. Uh, and I, it's one of those, I don't feel it's too, compared to other reality TV, it isn't too, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, take advantage of people. Uh, I think everyone's looking out for love and they, they don't edit it too badly to make it look like anyone's too bad. In my opinion, maybe sometimes they do. But uh, yeah, I, th- I find it quite a nice watch sometimes. It evokes a lot of emotions, I'd agree. It's quite touching sometimes. Mm-hmm. Gary, you're quite touching sometimes. What are you what to watching? 
Well, what I'm about to start watching is Space Force on Netflix. It's oh, I got head- two stars in the Guardian. Oh. I know, and this so is what's two point seven five. Two point seven five out of two. Um, no, this is. I mean, the thing is, Netflix have been heavily, heavily promoting this, and it's probably because they've put a lot of money into it. Uh, Steve Carell is the main character, and basically, it is. Um, I don't know if it used this as the launch point for coming up with the idea or if it was just... No pun intended. um, Or if it was just a happy coincidence, but it's basically about the idea that a sixth arm of the uh, armed forces up in space needs to be created. So they get this four-star general played by Steve Carell, who's Michael Scott in The Office, Rick Tamland in Anchorman. You've seen him in lots of things. Um, And there's quite a few other actors, and I can't remember off the top of my head. John Malkovich, isn't it? Who is, sir? John Malkovich. John Malkovich, that's it. Um, I think he's another main character in it. And there's a few others that make it seem promising, at least. Um, I've not watched it yet, but when I was looking up reviews, I didn't see the Guardian one, but I see that it's getting about three and a half out of ten on uh, Rotten Tomatoes and things like that. But it makes me wonder how bad actually is it? Um, So I'm quite intrigued to watch that. You've now got me in the mood for watching um, things that get mixed reviews, so I'm blaming you for that. Um, So brave for like like to hear that because Steve Carell's career sort of always been on an upward trajectory for a yeah. for a long time Gary so that would give it a bit of interest the fact that has Steve McCarell come across a dud because it's been a long Absolutely. time I would say. Um, and the other thing I'm uh, what to watching is my fitness regime so I've started using Couch to 5k um, oh. fellow podcaster Ewan Taylor uh, was waxing lyrical about it online so this week I started using it and it's actually dead easy I am a fat jobber who does not like exercise and I went on my first run, and it's basically 60 seconds run, 90 seconds walk, repeated. Um, and Sanjeev Kohli is telling me when to run and when to walk, so it's a bit of a dystopian nightmare. But at the same time, uh, I completed a 4.5k uh, route um, a few days that. ago, and I felt good for it. Brilliant. So I recommend was, it to everyone else. I'm going to take that on, because I saw the exact um, thing on Twitter that you're talking about, and it did yeah. get me going, because I've had uh, my, my life of fitness has always been really up and down, when I was younger, I used to be really into it, the playing football and stuff. But I think since I've got home from being abroad, I have done nothing. Yeah. Uh, and then lockdown, I found that I smoke more because obviously of boredom. Uh, and I have been thinking like, oh, when I go back to play fives or whatever, uh, I don't want that sheer run of embarrassment um, for, for when you're playing. And who wants the burning lungs? And the phlegm, so I was thinking about trying to get myself into some sort of routine. But this sounds like something that won't batter you, uh, no, and it might keep you coming back. What's quite good is that the so it does it starts off as intervals, and basically the intervals of running get longer as the intervals of mm. walking get shorter. The bleak test, and but but yeah, it's basically that. But what's quite good is that um, I think the idea of going out for a half hour run is pretty intimidating. Um, to most people but the fact that it's basically right just run for 60 seconds or jog for 60 seconds and then when you hear Sanjeev Coley going okay slow down to a walk now you go thank fuck for that and you just start walking again and it so it feels as if it's out of your hands and that for me at least helped me actually uh, bother myself to go and do it great stuff so the guy uh, on Twitter the he, he was most recently staying house we were Scott McLaughlin he uh, certainly inspired me. I went and inspired me to go running. I went running twice, but I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have gone on those two runs. <laughs> I'm so inspired. I've never run. I've never run. Life changing. Five k in over twenty eight minutes. But uh, I like he's he's a really he's really impressed me over the lockdown. He just started going running and posting his times. That's all he did. Started going running and posting his times, and since then, 
loads of people. I mean, I did it. I, I, I put runs, I downloaded the Nike app and, and tweeted him and saying, listen, thanks for your inspiration and, and all that. So it's, a, it's, it's pretty cool how how that how just like going online can in, inspire you to, to do it twice. Um, also intimidate you if you go on our WhatsApp and you see Joel's schedule ran about 100, 100K in about 42 seconds. Uh, that can be quite intimidating. Aye, Joel's a, Joel's a very uh, fit boy though, but on top of that, he's, he's got no hair. So, you know, <laughs> but God... Well, Giveth with one hand, he taketh with the other. I can't move and I have no hair, Craig, so it's a double whammy. Ah, listen, Tony, you're, <laughs> great, you're great fun, though. You know, <laughs> so Joel's got no character either. <laughs> Tony, what are you... Well, we'll finish up with yourself, Tony. What are you want to watch in this weekend? Uh, I, say, I don't know if it's going to be great, but I did... I, I gave... I went in for the, my first tentative looks at this first team um, show oh, on the BBC. Oh, is it in between us, guys? So in between us, mate? Yeah. So I went ahead and done it because I thought it would be an interest. I think it's something that most people, I think, will want to have at least a gander at before that sort of idea that the, the idea of it sounds like it could really go horribly, horribly wrong uh, as, a, as a premise for a TV show. Uh, a lot of people did like them between us. It was sort of like a, a show that was sort of universally loved. I know it seemed that a lot of people loved them between us. It was important to a lot of people. They related to it. Uh, so I thought I would give it a little look uh, to to get an understanding of that, and it was it was it was okay, you know, you know what? It was okay. The first couple of episodes I watched. Oh no! Tell me, tell me, tell me. And we're sort of like the American signing that's been signed by uh, the club. Is the sort of straight guy, he sees everything for how stupid it is. So he's like the viewer, if you like, who can point out the hypocrisies of everything and what all these footballers and their, their lifestyles and the, how the clubs run and all the banter going on. He's always the butt of the jokes and stuff like that. So it works. And then you've got, so, yeah, so I think a, a lot of it does sort of work and it, and it does land. Some of it, one of the ones about when it goes into the mental health stuff and the, uh, the red alert alarm going off, I'm like, stop what you're doing now. <laughs> turn off the camera but I would recommend I think I just it's one of those that I really want to hear other people's viewpoints on it so I would really appreciate people taking maybe two and a half hours out of their life and watching uh, the full six episodes that they've got because so I think it's, it's something that would have a bit of debate because there's elements of it I thought looked like it was going to be done pretty well and then other elements of it where it might miss the, miss the beat and miss the and some of the jokes weren't quite landing uh, but I thought that it's certainly something that will uh you'll have an opinion on it. Uh, and sometimes that can be just as important as anything else. Presumably better than the, the sitcom about football that was written by Jackie McNamara. Well, on that sort of four-second clip that I got sent on our WhatsApp group, I mean, that looked like the worst. The, the sex scene uh, scarred me for life. And there's no really any flesh in it. Just the way it looked, it was just sort of so budget. <laughs> it would horrify me of being part of it. But uh, um, yeah, I think I just I would really appreciate people to have a look at it and sort of like to spark a bit of chat because uh, I think it will have some people uh, talking quite will be quite positive about it and other people might be really really quite negative. So it's got all the type of characters. You've got the big hard man Bantersaurus guy who has troubles with uh, maybe other parts of his life. Uh, you've got the new young player who could go and play for. Uh, sort of like a really abstract uh, international country to do his international rather than who, and he wants to get his social media really high up all that stuff young player coming through who's really shy 
it's got all those types of like sort of the 2D characters that you would expect and something like this. So I would just be interested to hear what you all think. So go for it. It was okay. It was bloody okay. All right. Bloody okay. Thanks very much for what listening to the day. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and on that note (laughs) it's a beautiful weekend Uh, so as soon as we're finished I am going to put things in the bin go for a shot and take a bicycle around um, might drive might drive might cycle to Lethem why not don't have a helmet though so remember uh, my my brother once saying if I see someone out on a bike that doesn't have a helmet it looks either like a junkie or someone who just lost their driver's license so I'm I'm I've just lost their helmet I lost a helmet, yeah. So I'm trying to be that third sort of, uh, well, fourth actually, someone who's just too cool for a helmet, he says as he winds up with uh, horrendous uh, brain damage. <laughs> Doctors took the decision to... Uh, my like, mum my gave me a bike. ...to switch off his life support. <laughs> my mum gave me a bike uh, Corey, thank you a for few months back. <laughs> my mum gave me a bike and uh, my friends have referred to it as a junkie's bike it looks like uh, <laughs> because it's all chipped it's like tiny so they refer to it as a junkie's bike they all they say that if you see me, see me or anyone moving around on it you just think he's absolutely going to get his methadone fucking class cycling honestly it's, it's brilliant brilliant love doing it man love doing it and it's uh, but my dad gave me a lot of it and he's done a lot of good in the world but that might be the best thing he's done I I can't go a bike. What you can't that's race. A, you that's can't. a for, that's forty three year old man Sean McGuigan speaking there. <laughs> can't go a bike. Just all use armbands in the pool. No, I can swim. <laughs> swimming is uh, swimming is not a problem. Cycling, sure. on the other hand. Right, so you could that's so you could swim to your work, but you couldn't cycle to your work. Correct. Correct. There's a thought. So Sean McGuigan could be employed as a lifeguard, but not as a paper boy. <laughs> <laughs> I could be a favourite boy on a short route. <laughs> is, any, is, anyone nip, is anyone nipping out tonight, uh, today, sorry? Is anyone going out to a park or going to enjoy the fruits of our new sort of world that we're allowed to you do? You just hear me talk about the fucking bike. <laughs> I heard you. That's why I was talking to other people, Craig. And I know that you're going to do some special things tonight as well. It all sounds wonderful. I was wondering if anyone else is going to venture out of their four walls. I or has am... everyone got too used to lockdown? Well, I am about to drive up to Dundee. Um, well, I'm going to empty my bladder fully first um, and then drive up to Dundee Gary. to, you had to know, um, to sounds see my a, Sounds a bit more than five miles away, Gary. Sounds a bit more than five miles away. <laughs> if you check the guidance, Tony, if you check the guidance. Um, no, so just uh, sitting in my garden with my folks. Haven't seen them for three and a half months now because uh, February was a fairly busy month. Um, so go up there um, and just sit and dehydrate myself in the back garden for a bit and then come back. So well, I'm looking not forward have water to that. Your mom's house. <laughs> I'm, refuse, I'm refusing the risk. I don't, I don't want to. We did that. Like, I went to my mom's for a barbecue last night and sitting out in the garden and it was just fucking brilliant. It was, mm. it was the first time I'd seen my mom in a couple of weeks. She stays close by to me so you can go and like cycle and go and have a chat with her in the garden. But you will actually like to feel... As though you're, you're kind of you're not illicitly doing it, you're allowed to do it to mm. go and, and sit and just talk shite for a couple of hours and have a couple of beers and then cycle three beers. You're allowed to, to cycle after you have a few beers. God, I hope I'm not, I'm not, hope the police don't pay me a visit for one for breaking. Gary Cocker's <laughs> away driving about 10 miles, you're drink driving. I mean, what have we got next, Sean? Who else is going to put their foot in it? Craig uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> in charge of a bike without a helmet, blittered. <laughs> <laughs> A recipe, a recipe for disaster. Disaster. <laughs>
But listen, we'll finish up there. So I would like to to thank everyone for for joining us. I certainly had a, a lot of fun over the last uh, ninety minutes. I'd like to say cheerio to Gary Cocker. Cheerio. Enjoy, Gary. Enjoy cheerio. your day. Cheerio to our Rangers correspondent Sean McGuigan. <laughs> cheerio. <laughs> <laughs> and big thank you to Tony Anderson. Right, thanks very much. That was great fun. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, uh, I've been Craig Telford, and this has been the Terrace Scottish Football Postcard. Fuck. Oh, oh, yes. fuck it, man. Just, Woo! Away you go. See you. <laughs> See you later. Sports Social Podcast Network.